welcome to Football Bloody Hell. On the show tonight, Paul Thorpe. Dave Hilda-Pryor. Steve Rutter's back. Tony Pounder's here. And I'm bringing up the rear. So for some no-holds-barred football chat, you stay with us for the next hour. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. No, you that, still haven't got that... it right, mate. You haven't got it right. Wasn't quite good. No, no. Oh, I'll no. keep going. Yeah. Keep trying. Well, um, that voice in the background that you can hear is Mr. Aidy Hopper. Aidy joins us. Hi, Aid. I'm all right, old dog. How are you? Yeah, all good, sir. All good. And um, as always, Mr. Paul Thorpe uh, is joining us this evening. Hi, Thorpe. Good evening, everyone. I hope they're all well. And uh, joining us again is uh, Mr. Steve Rutter. Steve, how are you? I am very good, thank you, and very nice to be back. And yeah, pleased to have you. Very well might be called later by, um, by Tony Pounder, but uh, we will let you know if he does uh, make an appearance. Um, before we do start, as we have got Steve here, Steve, I'm just going to put you on the spot a little bit because it has been a few months since you've um, been on Three Valleys Radio. Just to sort of say, um, how are you, sir? And what have you, what have you been up to? Well, you have actually missed one because I have done one recently, but you were obviously <laughs> AWOL at the time, uh, probably preoccupied with other things. Um, you can probably but... hear in the background as to why I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> Uh, but no, just I've, I've been away quite a bit, doing doing various things in different places. Um, had a very nice trip to the World Cup for ten days, which was fabulous. Um, and I've been abroad in in the in Thailand doing some um, coach education stuff. So, yeah, very mixed and match, but nice to be at home with a bit of time with the family as well. And um, just very quickly, Steve, you mentioned about going over to the World Cup. Obviously, a lot was said about it being in Qatar and how it was kind of all put together. Just from your own personal perspective, were you able to just give us a little bit of an insight of how you found it and how how um, how you were made to feel and and just how the infrastructure and everything was was put together? Yeah, I mean, it's a very small place, so it's obviously easy to to manage getting from venue to venue. Um, the counter side to that is that there's not that much inf infrastructure in terms of roads so at times it was really difficult to get from place to place i think the the first game we went to was saudi argentina and it took us two and a half hours to get back into the city center from the stadium um, it took us about an hour 45 minutes to get on a tube so there were issues around that um but as a place to be fair it was obviously what you'd expect it was very glitzy neat and tidy all the stadiums were magnificent They've spent a lot of money with policing and stewarding to make sure there were absolutely no problems anywhere. And that I have to say that was refreshing. There was no hint of, of trouble or violence anywhere. Everybody mixed really well. Um, but hand on heart, I genuinely think the quality of the football and the, the excitement in the games 
saved FIFA from an awful lot of criticism because I think in the second half of the season there's going to be a lot of you know legacy from the games, players getting injured, tired, um, and there'll be a lot of managers moaning. I think about the fact that it, it interrupted the middle of the season. Steve, on that uh, point of um, you know the, te- the the fans mixing together. Do you think that obviously the, the they say there was a alcohol there, but it was a zero. I believe it was zero alcohol, um, and uh, they they were obviously not um, not allowing alcohol for a certain period before the games. Uh, do you think that was a major factor in the fact that there was no no trouble? And do you think that that was a good thing for the for the spectacle? I gotta be honest, Paul. It was. I mean, it was like a holiday resort, and that was the, that was the vibe around the place. You went out in the evenings to restaurants to get food. Everybody was very relaxed. Um, as I say, when I, you know, even at Heathrow Airport, we we boarded our flight to go, and about a third of the flight were Mexicans. So you can imagine what that was like on an overnight flight to Qatar. No sleep yeah. whatsoever. Um, mm. and, it, and that side of it was absolutely brilliant. I have to say, and even even in the stadiums, around the stadiums, fans just mixing all over. And I'm sure there being no alcohol um, <clears throat> is a big part of that because it just it does loosen people's inhibitions, doesn't it? And it makes people do stupid things. And in the hot weather, you're probably prone to drinking more. Um, so therefore, you probably make yourself even more susceptible. But I th- yeah, I think it played a big part. And obviously, the other part of it is they're not as tolerant in those countries as maybe some of the European countries are. So when you get drunk and you misbehave in the street, you get locked up. Um, yeah. there's, no, you know, there's no questions asked. You get locked up until you sober up, and then you pay a big fine. So, in some ways, you know, we could probably learn something from it. But in terms of it being a venue, um, they had to pull out all the stops really to to get the infrastructure in place. They really did. Um, but you've got to ask questions about how a country that small can be given the you know the World Cup to host. Yeah, yeah especially I mean, yeah, one when it's in America and Mexico and Canada, it's just the difference in size, for <laughs> But yeah, the, the question is, is, is that you know, like America are getting it next, and uh, the the fact that England have not had it since '66. Um, why do you think that factor is, Steve? Well, ultimately, it's politics, isn't it? It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, you know, England is one of the European countries. FIFA is the world governing body. They've made this big pledge about you know sending football around the world, making it more accessible to other people. And every time England puts in a bid or the home nations put in a bid, they're always competing with three or four other European nations who have all got fantastic stadium infrastructure, you know, good road networks, good travel links. So we're competing on a slightly different level. Um, I think Saudi are going to put in. The last I heard, Saudi were going to make a bid in partnership with Egypt and Greece. So that would be unique. Not only three different countries, but three different continents. Um, and yeah. apparently that's a viable bid going forward. So I just think it's politics. They want to keep everybody happy and then they'll look at the revenue streams and where can they generate the most money. <clears throat> Steve, did you notice the attire that uh, Mr Giannio Infantini was wearing, in particular his trainers with his suit? Yeah, you, know, you couldn't miss it, could you, really? Oh, um, God. Yeah, you couldn't. And, and, you know, with all due respect, you you, you want to look like you're, you're trendy and you're, you're with it. And you're modern, um, but he—I just think he made himself look stupid when everybody around him was dressed impeccably, and he looked like he'd gone out in a bit of a rush. Um, <laughs> he I think also, wasn't there some rule about about the journalists couldn't take—they had to take photographs of him at every single game because he went to every game, even yeah. for a portion of the time. But they weren't allowed to take a picture of him on his phone. 
and, and apparently one journalist did and then got sanctioned for it. So, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where the role is. You know, should he be behind the scenes doing more to make football better and less to publicise himself? I think he probably should. Well, I think we, if we go into Infantino, I think we'll be here for an entirely... We could probably oh. fill up the time for a new podcast um, <laughs> for all the things that there is to say to say about him. But it's good that you've had, you had a good time anyway, Steve, and good to have you back here on Three Valleys Radio. So what I was hoping to start with is to talk about Yeovil, and, uh, and hopefully it would have been a good win um, in their last outing against Altrincham, but unfortunately it did fall foul to the, to the weather. Um, obviously, before that as well, there was a bit of a controversy, really, from a Yeovil fan's perspective. The game against Barnet was uh, called off at relatively last minute. A lot of fans um, that travelled up from Yeovil got as far as Heathrow, and some were even drinking in the bar at the Hive to then be told that the game was actually called off at the 11th hour. Um, AD, I'll start with you. Um, obviously, the club have come out with a real damning statement saying that the referee... Um, that they will like, they'll take it as far as they can because they uh, disagree with the referee's um, assessment. They obviously later came out to say that they were then training on the pitch as soon as they were told that it was unsafe and not fit for an actual game. Um, the referee turned up at one o'clock. Um, I know it's quite difficult to assess this situation because it's not always the club's fault in this particular instance. It's the protocols that are in place when it comes to calling off a game and when the referees can get there. But are we getting to a point now where there needs to be something in place to stop fans from travelling on, on the day and games being called off with a couple of hours to go when it could easily have been made a lot earlier to save everybody a lot of time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it, it's, it was interesting because at the uh, press conference, um, Sam Collard was was absolutely so confident because we asked him, you know, is, is the game under any threat? And Sam was so confident that the game was going to be played. It was just it, it was out of, the, out of the question that there'd be any problem with it. It was just assumed it was going to be OK. So I was quite surprised when you rang me to say, oh, by the way, it's not on. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, it's very annoying. I mean, you know, we we spent. We're a community radio station. We don't make money. Wish we did, but we don't. And we spent money driving up to um, uh, where was it? Barnet. Was it Barnet? Yeah, Barnet. Uh, you know, waste of money. Uh, and it's not the first time. All right, the the first time was Bromley, which was slightly different circumstances. So you can you can discount that one probably. But but Barnet certainly not. And I, I think it's you know these days with with rising costs and inflation and everything else. People can't afford to go wasting 20, 30, 40, 50 quid to make a trip, trip up to London for, for an event that just doesn't happen. So I think you're dead right. They need to bring in some sort of sensible protocols and the decisions need to be made. And OK, if they make a mistake and the decisions said the game's off, but it's the day before they make it, well, so be it. But at least people haven't lost money as a result of it. And they can they can, you know, they can see the game again when it's rescheduled. Thorpe, I'll, I'll bring you in as we obviously spoke um, on the day because we were due mm. to be doing commentary on, on Three Valleys on Saturday. Um, yeah. You did mention the fact that with, with this kind of decision, it's not necessarily in the in the club's hands. As um, AD says, though, and in this day and age, are we not at a point now where they need to put a change in place where if there's any doubt that a call can be made either first thing in the morning 
or the night before, even yeah. if it then changes at a later date because there's just too many logistics involved to cancel it at the last minute. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But so there, there are there are a lot of things we need to look at. That one is that the referee is in charge from when the moment he gets to the ground to the moment he leaves the ground. Um, and the, the other thing is, as regards to player safety, you know, and there is protocol with that as well, you know, they have a duty of care towards the players. You know, just say um, and somebody down in the slippy area went down, broke his leg, you know, that's the end of his, and, and just say, for instance, end of his career. Who's going who's gonna to pay his ways? Who's liable for that? So that's it. that's the one part that we need to look at and uh, be aware of. Uh, the, other, the other part that I'd like to bring in was the fact that we used to use, uh, for a long time, I don't know why we don't do it now, we used to use local referees. They used to pop in, have a look there, and if it was, uh, you know, a board line, almost like make a decision before anybody else got down there. And that was working with the club. Now, this, this looks like to me that he's come in there Made a decision, just apparently left very, very quickly, like he had another another engagement to go to, and um, you know, and uh, the, he didn't work with the club, you know, and I think it's really important. Just very quickly, that apparently Yeovil did come out and say that they did try to contact local referees that morning, but right. none were available to be able to do as you're suggesting. Okay, all right, so that still apparently does go on. I thought it stopped and. Um, I was wondering why it stopped, like so. Um, you know, so there, there, there's those aspects as well, like really. And um, but the most important thing is that, that is the fact that we've got to try and do something to actually stop the travelling fans. Like I say, it's hard enough to pay your bills now and pay your mortgage. You know, with everything going up, uh, you know, and and stop them wasting their their valuable money um, before they make these decisions. Whether they actually start calling games off the day before. Or they look at the weather, local weather forecast because you know we have temperatures not far wrong. Um, see what the temperatures are going to be like, and all of them say, you know, preempt due to uh, weather forecast. We cancelled, um, you know, and and rebooted on another day. Steve, I'll come to you. Just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit from a referee's perspective. Are they sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't? Because you want to make sure you give it every opportunity to, to play the game. But at the same time, when it's getting later and later, and I think by the time that Yeovil made their statement to say that the game had been called off, it was gone to a clock and fans of both sets of, you know, both sets yeah. of fans have already made their way to the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it is really unfortunate, isn't it? Because it's, it's one of the problems you have when you have a winter season. And you're in the northern hemisphere where, you know, you get real extremes of temperatures. So it could be freezing in Barnet and it's not freezing in Enfield just down the road. You know, so it is localised like that. Um, and you're right, it's, it's really difficult. So if you call it off the day before and then it turns out the game would have been playable, then actually the club do lose out because I'd imagine there's a lot more Yeovil fans going to travel on a Saturday to watch a game to Barnet than there are on a rearranged game on a Tuesday night. So, so somebody's losing, whether it's the club or the or the fans. So that's a difficult balancing act. Thorpe is absolutely right. The player safety has to be paramount, and the spectator safety. To be fair, if the stands are greasy, but yeah, I don't know if you saw like the Arsenal Chelsea ladies game. I think it's Chelsea ladies at home at Kings Meadow. They did exactly that. Tried to play the game. It lasted six minutes, and they called it off because it was a fast because people were skating around on the pitch, falling over, um, and they gave it every chance to try and play the game and, and get it started. So. 
you're absolutely right. I think you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, it's incredibly frustrating, but I think it's one of the peculiarities of, of a winter season in somewhere like England. I don't think you can avoid it. And I think whatever system you come up with, it, somebody will find that actually it doesn't suit them. So if you call it off the day before and it turns out the game was playable, then the host club are going to be saying, well, we've just lost a whole day's revenue. You know, will we recoup it when, when we reschedule the fixture? We've got to reprint programmes because obviously they've paid for programmes and stuff to be done. Um, they'll have had staff in on the ground in the morning that they've been paying and then there's no activity going on in the afternoons. So it is just a real balance, I think. Um, it's quite interesting to see the Peterborough chairman are paying 460 coaches for Charlton fans to travel to Peterborough for the rearranged game because exactly the same happened there, didn't it? So is there enough money in the game further down to do that? I'm not sure there is. So that puts me on to a good point. Um, Adi, I'll quickly come to you, that like Steve just touched on there. Should we be looking at particularly at National League level to be some sort of independent body slash emergency fund of some description that you can dip into, uh, albeit it's money and you know, you've got to look at where the money come from at this level, but should that be something that needs to be thought about particularly if you have to call it off last minute and as you say not everybody has 60 70 pounds to do it all again you know on a tuesday night later down the line and, and spend the same amount of cash i've got a confession to make first of all i've had a very traumatic day i had to do um a speed awareness course online this afternoon <laughs> so to say that it was traumatic is perhaps an understatement but um because of <laughs> went, that went quick yeah. <laughs> did it hell um, because of that uh, I inadvertently forgot to send Mr Pounder the code to get into Zoom which is probably why <laughs> he's not arrived yet so I can only hold my hands up and say I'm ever so sorry guys um, what was the question Hilda I tell you it, it, you know it, it's really got to me but Firstly, leave that in the podcast. Don't edit it out. I think it's important that the listeners know exactly what goes on. Yeah. Second point, obviously, here at Three Valleys Radio, we don't condone speeding at any forms and um, quite rightly. Yeah. And to all those little people in the small villages all around Somerset, might I point the finger at you? You are pathetic. Right, carry on. But, um, yeah, so the question I was going to throw to you was that we talk about um, postponements that happen last minute. Should there be mm. some sort of independent yeah. funding available of some description to be able to use in these scenarios where they get called off at such last minute? And not only that, the fans don't only lose out for their, you know, for the payment that they've made for that particular journey on the day. There's also the follow-up fixture when it gets rearranged and then more expense on top of that. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, there is the money that is washing around in football in general, especially the Premier League, but, but football in general, surely they could put aside... I mean, how much are we talking about? It's, it's not going to be a huge amount, is it? Because the, the number of times that this happens is probably not that great over a season. Because you know it's only going to be maybe potentially a month where you've got a, got a problem weather-wise. So, you know, I, I just can't... Um, I can't see why they can't find some, some extra money for it. Well, as we record this on a 
on a Monday. Um, the game against Wildstone on Tuesday evening is still uh, in the calendar. It looks like that there has been some changes, though, Thorpe, as we've just touched on whether or not they will have to look to change things, um, particularly when the referees do an inspection. I believe somebody's going to be coming in at one o'clock tomorrow afternoon um, to try and get a decision. I don't imagine if they're Wildstone fans coming from Wildstone, it's a couple of hours, a couple and a half uh, hours and a half possibly to get here. So would that be enough time if they made a decision at, say, 2 p.m.? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would have thought so definitely. I mean, we, we've been and played at um, Wheelstone quite a few times. And, um, yeah, it's about two and a half hours. And so uh, I, I think that's 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 good arrangement from the Oval's point of view. And uh, just to let them know that if it is off, then, then they, they, they don't waste time. The other thing as well is that, you know, during the winter times as well, is remember that the, the road conditions are not as good. It's dropping below, below freezing at times. And, um, you know, we ought to have a duty of care really for all four so for the fans and uh, making sure they're not on the old greasy roads and then next you know somebody's had an accident and lost their life so I think it's really important that this is addressed um, and uh, to make it an early decision so that people can, can wrap up warm at home instead of being on icy roads Absolutely and if we do get it ahead then you will hopefully be able to hear the dulcet tones of myself and uh, Mr Thorpe <laughs> over the islands um, and getting a win against Wildstone. Well, well, we'll move on and hope that that game does go ahead because we need to then look in the Premier League. And um, I guess there's only one place to start, really, of what happened. And it was the game, as we record this, yesterday, Sunday evening, where it finished Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. An absolute throwback in the game that we were hoping for, uh, we got. AD, obviously the result isn't what you wanted, but what did you make of the game as a whole and um, how did you feel coming away from it? Uh, I felt absolutely gutted um, because, you know, let's be fair, it was a fantastic game, no question of that, uh, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't argue with that at all. And and some of the players that were involved and you look at them and you think, you know, God, this, this is... but. But the, the you know the result was was a sickness because we've dropped five points in two games, both of them in the ninetieth of minute. Now I'm sure somebody's going to say game management. Well, uh, fair enough. I agree with them. I agree with them totally. Um, that shouldn't have happened, but it did for some reason. I don't know quite how we managed to do it, but we did. Um, so that was was exceedingly sickening. I've got to say, but you know I thought United did well. Um, I thought Mar Marcus Rashford was was again. You know, looking a really quality player these days at the moment, um, but but you know you can't really knock Arsenal either. They were they were a goal down. They came back to two one. They were then two two, and then they came back again. I mean, I thought the last goal was a little bit jammy because that was going out until he just happened to deflect it in. So, but you know, at the end of the day, they won and we didn't. So I'm gutted. But there you go. We're still there. We're we're as a team, without any question, we're back to getting closer to the sort of standards that you expect for Manchester United, which is great. And, you know, when I think back to the days of Ralph Ragnick, or whatever his name was, what a waste of space he was. I mean, he did nothing for us at all. But at least Mr Ted Hargis has got the bit between his teeth and he seems to be, uh, he seems to be making a difference. Just want to bring Steve in, because, Steve, we haven't really had much of an opportunity to ask you about the um, this year's uh, goings-on in, in the Premier League. Um 
Arsenal have obviously now gone five clear. We had a little discussion last week about whether or not people felt that it was time to take them seriously because a lot of pundits are still tipping Manchester City to win. But how do you see it after yesterday? Is it still Arsenal's to lose? Has to be, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I would think so. I mean, they're obviously going to have a dip at some point, I would imagine. Most most sides do. Um, you know, the Invincibles were probably the last side that went through a whole season without a dip of some sort. But when you think, you know, the players they brought on, Tommy Yasu coming on at right back because um, Ben White was really struggling. So they made a substitute at half-time, which didn't weaken them at all. Then they brought on Trossard, who I think is going to be a really good signing for them. Um, and they don't lose anything when they bring on somebody like that. So Gabriel Jesus is out, obviously, at the moment. So I think they've got a real good balance and depth now in the squad, probably more so than they've had in previous years. Um, they're playing with a massive amount of confidence and you've got to say at this moment in time they look the real deal so I think Manchester City are going to have to do something really good to catch them but you wouldn't write off Manchester City with the quality of the players they've got but at the moment Arsenal I have to say are a breath of fresh air and I think Bukayo Saka he's just going to another level but they've got to play Manchester City twice haven't they uh, in the league because they haven't played them either time yet so that could make a big difference yeah, it could, and everybody said they've got to play Tottenham, and they played Tottenham, and then everybody said they've got to play Man U, and they played Man U, and they took six points out of six. Um, and I think they're capable of beating Manchester City. Mr Pounder, are you there? I certainly am. I'd like to put well, it on Greg, record, I have grovelingly apologised, Tone. Yeah, he has apologised. He has apologised. I've been, I've been all around the world, mate. <laughs> 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 well, I do, I do feel sorry for you a bit, Pounder, that AD has now managed to bring you in just as we were talking about Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2. Um, obviously, you would have been disappointed right. with the result. But it was a throwback game, wasn't it? Did you enjoy it up until the end? i I got to say, as a United fan, I thought it was a brilliant game. Um, it was more like the old day, the Fergie Wenger clashes. Um, some tackles flying in uh, end to end I thought I think Arsenal deserved uh, the win on overall they um, pushed on the last 20-30 minutes and United seemed to be hanging on they seemed to be getting deeper and deeper and you could see Tony Howe was trying to push them up the field a bit but they're just relentless at the moment Arsenal they got some great players and just like I just heard Steve say about Sacco he's um, he seemed like sure left back for United was um, superb in the World Cup and I think he's been superb all season but I think he gave him a bit too much room yesterday and Sacco's gone to a different level as Steve said. Thorpe, I'll, I'll come to you. We spoke last week about um, Arsenal's chances and you, you quite rightly said that they've definitely got every chance. Man City as good as they are, they do look like that they've dipped a little bit um, this season. How impressive uh, did you find the performance yesterday? Hugely impressive, as you said. Like they absolutely bombarded uh, Man United in the last sort of fifteen twenty minutes, and um, you know, I, I, I thought that um, I thought that Den Hag was basically loading the defence a little bit to say, look, you know, let's not get beat. But I'd say this this Arsenal team just kept peppering away um, and finally got their rewards. I mean, the quality of the game was just exceptional. I mean, you know, we're talking about that global product of the Premiership. This is why everybody really watches it, you know, intensely around the world. And, uh, I mean, the stats sort of like say it all. I mean, 30 shots, 31 shots on 
um, on goal. Uh, there was like nine, ten shots on target. The pass accuracy is right up in 81% for Arsenal and 77%, you know, for, for Man United. And, um, you know, there was it was just pure class right from start to finish. I've got to say, though, I think that they've done immense work on the, the Arsenal defensive side of the game and um, they really are making them hard to beat. Uh, I think Steve's absolutely bang on. I think that uh, they have a really, really good opportunity to, to go out and, and really take uh, Manchester City by the throat and, 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 and possibly, possibly you know, get a decent result against them. Um, but I just, I'm just in awe of the quality of the football. And it's not only, you sort of see continental football, like, you know, with all the skill and ability, but it's certainly not of the pace that is in the premiership. And the pace of the game and the, and the skill level is, was such, um, it's just really, really impressive to watch as a, uh, as a neutral. And, um, you know, I felt sorry for Man United. They worked really, really hard. But I thought the that little bit of extra quality, and like you say, Steve said, like and Tony said, you know, that Arsenal are playing with immense confidence at the moment. And with that comes that little bit of extra sharpness. And um, that paid off in the end, whether it was lucky or not. I mean, he was in the right position and he's making a, he's making a name for himself, isn't he? They've now got, um, I think it's 50 points from, um, from halfway. I mean, if they yeah. were to not win the title now would it be one of the um i don't want to say one of the the biggest kind of slip-ups from that position because obviously it's still only five points at the moment albeit with um they've got a game in hand but when you've made that much of a mark on the first half of the season you would expect yeah. it to then come on wouldn't you yeah yeah i, I certainly think that it would be no it definitely could happen. The, the fact that they've not got Champions League is definitely a bonus for them because they'll be fresher for a start. I don't think it'll be as big a blow-up as what Newcastle did when Manchester United were chasing them uh, with the, you know, uh, the fantastic uh, Kevin Keegan. He'd love it, love it if they got beat um, Yeah, But, um, yeah, it's the, I think it is theirs to lose. They're going to be fresher. Other guy teams are going in and to rotate their players more. More chances of getting injuries possible suspensions um, so with a clean sheet of that and having fresher players I think that is is Arsenal's to lose now but listen it's the premiership anything can happen yeah. um, I'd like to, like to quickly ask a question of Steve you know as regards to you know his, his coaching ability I've, I've noticed a lot in um, the premiership and it came up again in, in that game with Wambasaka's positioning body positioning for I'm not sure which goal it was. Was it was it the first, first goal? The first goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's going on with these fullbacks? It, that, it happens with Trent Alexander Alexander. You know their body position is so closed off. Um, what 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 do things going on? And it's yeah. always the fullbacks. Yeah, well, I mean, he found himself on the wrong side, didn't he? Because I think he had been they'd been defending the corner or something. He'd gone back out again, then it's come back in, and he's he's found himself at left back, so he's on the wrong side. But I mean, I thought the biggest the biggest issue in the game really was the booking that Casimiro got away at Palace, because actually it really did come back to yesterday. Um, when you got Saka on one side, who's left footed, wants to Martinelli on the wants to come side. And, and Luke Shaw didn't want to get close because he didn't know whether to send him inside or down the outside, and, and Saka's quicker. And it was the same on yeah. the other side with Martinelli, whereas normally um, Casimiro would just go across, he'd slide across to the angle of the 18-yard box, 
he'd say, show them inside, don't let them go down the outside. He'd take charge. And then when they came inside, he'd clatter them. And, and that yeah. was, they got absolutely ravaged there yesterday. People were playing little one-twos around the corners. And the full-backs just really struggling to get tight. Um, Bissaka's got a bit more pace, so he can recover. But Luke Shaw's got no... And he just yeah. got hung out to try, which is why he, why he kept backing off into the penalty box. So that loose pass from Casemiro at Palace that then he got himself booked for, um, ultimately has come back and has really haunted them. Yeah. Talking of individual performances, you mentioned about Saka that does look absolutely electric at the moment and it has been coming over the last couple of years or so from what we've from what we've seen. I just want to talk about um Eddie and Katia for a moment because when Jesus was confirmed as being injured for three months or at least three months, I think a lot of Arsenal fans almost conceded the title at that point and thought, Oh, that's it, season's done now. Um Tone, I'll I'll bring you in on this one. It it strikes me as Eddie and Ketty is the type of player where you put him up front in a good team and he'll get you goals. He might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if he was stay leading the line for Crystal Palace, he might struggle and not score that many. Would that do you think that's a fair assessment of the type of player he is? Um, probably. Um, I think like he's a typical player. Like I say, the chances they're going to create with uh, the two four, the two wingers and the ability of the build. Uh, perhaps in Palace side or, like you say, a lesser side, he's not going to get that service. Um, and I think, like I say, I know Jesus got injured in the year, but this is perhaps a breakthrough he needed. He's going to get a run of games now, and he's uh, showing his form, and they've always believed in him at Arsenal. And I think, like I say, he's got a massive future ahead of him. Um, it'll be interesting. Is Jesus out for the year, whole season? I don't sure think how long he's... I think they're hoping to get him back in the next um month or so, but then you know, you know, like it is when you've been out for a while and then you might not come back straight away and then before you know it, you're looking at March, April and the season's nearly coming to a close. Yeah, and I think um with him being a young lad, he had a lad as well, um it probably wants you to use fat because like I say, he's on such a rich run of form at the moment, he's playing so well. Sometimes they seem to pitter off towards season when it's their first full year um, so he's going to need all the help he can but certainly uh, the future's bright for him uh, my eyes I think he's going to be an outstanding player. Point about uh, Wan Bissaka as well he, he's such a contrast because for some parts of the game particularly retrieving tackles, last ditch tackles on their end of the box he seems to have a knack of, of getting that leg of his in and he'll get the ball and, and you know he'll save a possible disaster but on the other hand, he can make some of the most elementary mistakes that you've seen, and and you just sort of despair at times about him. He, he's a he's a real Jekyll and Hyde player. I think when he when he's one bit one aid and it's a physical confrontation, he's so quick mm. that he can be in a bad position, but his focus is on the ball, and then it, all he does is he focuses on the ball, matches up the stride pat, and then he, he gets a tackle. And the one he did the other last night was with his outside leg, his left foot, yeah, magnificent recovery tackle. Mm. The problem is when the ball's on the other side of the field and he's not directly involved in the play. Like the first goal. Yeah. Thought we said body completely closed off. Enketi's got no right to get across the front of him and score. And he's and he's standing there facing his own goal when Enketi heads it in. And it's like just basic park defending, with all mm. due respect. Yeah. yeah. The fact the fact he's a right back on the left hand side really shouldn't make any difference. He's just defending the far post. Or not as the case may be. Um my my big concern for Arsenal, they won't get to hundred points. Don't worry about that. They won't get to hundred points. Because I think Zinchenko is the only one in the side that's ever actually won anything. 
I think um, Ramsdale won Division 1 with Sheffield United. But if you look through the team, there aren't that many that have ever been in a championship winning position. And it doesn't ask start to restrict your freedom and your flow of play when you're getting close to the finishing line. It'll be interesting to see if they do stumble and fall. And if they do, how quickly they can regain the momentum and get back in the race. Because at the moment, everything's going great. But as they get closer to the finishing line, they will definitely start to tighten up no matter what they do. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how they respond. So I, just want, I just want to also talk about um, three. I just want to start talking about um, Granite Shaka because in my mind, if I feel like he's one of the most, um, from where he was three years ago in that time when he got substituted and the whole stadium was starting to boo him, um, Tony, I'll come to you. Is he one of the most impressive uh, comebacks of, on an individual level that there's ever been in the Premier League? Because he's got to be up there, surely. Oh, for, for sure. There's nothing worse as a player getting booed off by your own fans. Um, he, like I say, he's taken out the heart. Um, it wasn't just once, was it? It was quite a few times. And he was getting slaughtered, social media. And for him to he could have easily uh, thrown his towel in and said, what in a move and stuff, what a way. And he's got his head down. Apparently, he's been a revelation in training. I was reading about him. And he's certainly got the support of the players. Uh, Valerie Raynham. And with Arteta, I think he's just gone on. He's getting stronger and stronger for me. And he's looking, uh, well, he's certainly uh, leading the Arsenal team There's forward at the moment. Been a, um, a, a leader there. Because if you look at the... The um, the teams that he's played in and the managers that have been there, for all of Shaka's problems when he was sort of letting the team down with rash challenges and getting involved in stuff that he didn't need to get involved in, he was still being picked every week and he was still being made captain. So there was obviously something there and now we're sort of starting to see it. Yeah, I think, like I say, uh, he's been under some big managers uh, and like you, you said, he's always been a regular in the team. Um, he had a spell, like I say, he had a spell where he was giving the ball away. I think he got sent off one game, um, disputing tackles when he got booed off as well. Um, he's obviously got something about him, a leadership, uh, because the, all the managers he's been under have seen it in him. And I think it's, like I say, he's, he's calmed down. He's, I think when he came back, he got put back in the team after they left him out for four or five games. He came back and he started to do the simple things. He won the ball and he broke things up. He gave it easy, then he grew in confidence. You could see his confidence coming back. And sometimes um, you need a little break to take you out of it um, and come back to it. And he's, like I say, he's come back strong and looks fitter and fighting uh, his way for Arsenal now. So elsewhere then in the in the Premier League, um, West Ham beat Everton 2-0 in sort of a big battle at the, the bottom of the Premier League. Um, it's not always we get this on Three Valleys Radio, but as we record this tonight, we had a little bit of breaking news come through earlier, which was the news that we were expecting, if you listened to our podcast last week, which is that Everton have sacked Frank Lampard. Um, Steve, I'll start with you. Can you just confirm to everyone on Three Valleys Radio and our listeners that you uh, haven't submitted an application for the managerial role? <laughs> Uh, no, I definitely have not. Um, I don't know who would want it at this moment in time. Well, the answer to that is probably three or four. Sam, Al Sam Aldice. Yeah, there'll, there'll be plenty of people putting their hat in the ring. And, and the reality is, like, whoever goes in there, it's just a mammoth task, isn't it? Because 
like it's like a juggernaut. It's just it's heading towards the abyss at the moment, and nobody seems to be able to put the brakes on and stop it. And it, it's going to take something fundamental to, to to change it, I think, because they've actually got some good players there. You know, I mean, thought Connor Cody was a really good signing. Tarkovsky's yeah. a good signing, um, but they they can't score goals at the other end of the field. They give away soft goals, um, and at the moment, just nobody seems to be able to address it. So. Obviously, the answer always is to is to sack the coach, isn't it? Irrespective, that's why I, that's why they're looking for their sixth coach, is it? In the last five years, yeah. uh, which probably tells you something about the malaise that's setting with inside the club as a whole. Um, and that's a shame because they're a traditional top English club, aren't they? And they've they've historically stood for inverted commas the right things. They bring through their own players. Um, but yeah, I think it was an inevitability. Whoever lost the game, West Ham Everton was getting sacked. Well, obviously the board of directors were listening to the podcast last week because I said he would get the sack last week, if you remember. <laughs> was that was that if they lost aid, or do you think if they'd have won, they would have given him a bit more time? Because irrespective of that one result, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer, does it? No, no, no I don't. I think they would have sacked him anyway, quite honestly. I mean, yeah. you know, if you look at the jobs he's had, he's had Chelsea, he's had Everton, he's had Derby County. Is there any more? Have I missed one? Um, no, there's three of them. Uh, and you know, I don't really think he's done an awful lot of any of them, frankly. Um, excuse the pun. Frankly, <laughs> and um, so a, I'm not surprised, and b, I just don't think he's a particularly good manager. Now, I don't know. You know, I'm only a fan for goodness' sake. Steve's Steve's in the game. He's got the the experience of working with with the top people. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, the performances are usually re- relating to the job, and then. If you're doing a good job, the, the performances are there. And if you're not doing a good job, the performances aren't there. And it's no good saying the players have let him down. Some of them probably have. But as Steve said, they've got some good players there. I mean, what's happened to Carl, Calvin, Dominic Calvin Lewis lately? I mean, he's done nothing. I know he's been injured, but he's back now, just for one. Are Everton a, a, a victim of um, their own fans' expectations? Because we've seen clubs in the past, I mean... Look at Blackburn. They were always pushing for Europe, previous title winners, and then it all went south and eventually they had bad ownership and then they went down and haven't been seen since. Charlton Athletic got fed up with Alan Kerbishley for finishing eighth. They then went to Ian Dowie. um, Who else did they have? They had Alan Pardew. It all went south and then they got relegated and haven't come back since. Stoke pushed on and they were about eighth and then they tried to gamble and then they decided to get rid of Mark Hughes when it was going well. And then they went south and they haven't been back since. We've seen this before. Are Everton just going to sort of fall into that trap pool? Because managers will probably look at Everton a bit like Flat Lampard did this time last year and went, well, it's Everton. I can turn that around. But is it too far gone now? Something behind the scenes is not quite right, is it? Because they've spent a lot of money. And you've got to have a look at their recruitment, uh, which is which is obviously not right. Um I, don't, I really don't know the answer to this one, really. I mean, you know... Does it matter a... what players they sign, Thorpey? When you're, in a, when you're in a club where everything's just so negative, off the field and stuff, you could have some European elite players, but just the culture and everything, they could get some really good signings in on paper and it still might not work. As um, Steve alluded to, they've got Cody, good signing, Tarkovsky yeah. on paper, good signings, but it still hasn't really worked. But Tarkovsky, you know, made a, a, a real error, you know, by diving in, you know, uh, right across on on the byline and, and uh, allowing well, I mean, something, something to get past him, like, and then they put it back and they score. I mean, that type of um, 
that, 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 that again is schoolboy stuff, really. Like, and uh, it's his type of experience. He shouldn't allow that to happen. Um, what I think the recruitment is wrong, though, are you saying, like, you know, any players could go out? No, not any players could there. You know, when you've got, like, maybe not the quality of player that you, you possibly should have, you've got to be super organised and you've got to super organised defensively, first and foremost. So that means you've got to shut up shop. You know, and they've just clearly not done that. You know, people probably overplaying at times. Um, I don't never have agreed, as I've, I've, I've sort of said before in these podcasts, I've never agreed with this playing out from the back. Um, I believe, you know, they, they can counter-attack quicker if they release the ball quicker instead of, like, stopping it and then playing out from the back. Um, I, but I just really don't know what's going on at that club because, you know, it's a bigger club. They could have the best ground in the, in the world, according to that, in, in the championship if they don't get the grips with it. So they do need to find the right guy, but they also need to find the right guy and, and let him do his job. I'm not a lover of sacking managers. Um, never have been. I know, like you say, five, is it five and eight seasons? To me, five and six, the, I think it is. Five and six, yeah. I, I mean, that's crazy. How can, how, can he, how can the players get any continuity as regards to their playing ability? One... one you know, like eight month period, they're playing one style of football. A new manager comes in, they're playing a different style of football. They don't know where they're coming or going. You know, Connor Cody, uh, great, great signing. You know, Tarkovsky, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence with that one. Um, he was free though, Thorpe. I mean, he was, you know, he was a free transfer, Tarkovsky. Yeah. And and that's what happens, isn't it? When you're a good player like that, and and you care, and I think he gives me the impression that he's a typical proper English defender. Yeah. You do try and do too much when things are going pear-shaped and everything's going wrong. And he has just got himself caught. He's dived in to try and make a tackle and got caught. And actually, at least he got back and got back in the box and put some pressure on the ball again. But, you know, they've, they've spent £77 million And yeah. Chelsea spent £87 million on somebody who's got four caps for Ukraine. You know, and, and now they're signing Nonu Madiaki for £27 million or something. So, I just mm. think they think they're a big club. In reality, they're not. Um Ancelotti did okay there, didn't he? But he's probably the best manager in the world. And he did okay. Do they, have to, do they have to the fans now have to change their approach in terms of, I've talked about how it got restless under Martinez when they were finishing seventh, eighth. Um, for example, if you asked an Everton fan, would they want an Allardyce to come back or a Sean Dyche type, they would say, no, absolutely not. But Tony, are we at a point now where they absolutely must go for Sean Dyche because first and foremost they just need to get out of this rut No, I agree there, I think I was just going to butt in a minute ago and say the fans have got to take a lot of responsibility for me, they've made that place uh, a poison atmosphere at the moment and you can see the players, like uh, Stephen Paul said, they've got some great players there and you can see they're low on confidence, but, I mean, was it last week they had threats against the board none of them turned up? Yeah, yeah. 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 Now now, before a massive game like that, the atmosphere there is poisonous at the moment, I think. And the players are running out to that. And as soon as they make a mistake or anything, you can see on their faces, or they're going to go down, you can just see their body language in that. And I think it's, it's a very hard, it's going to be hard for a manager to go in there at the moment because they are rock bottom. I know they've got this new stadium being built, which is going to be superb, but it's going to be no good in the championship for them. Um, and, and the fans demand success there and that's why I think the chairman pulls the trigger so much because they're getting so much pressure off of the fans um, like you say they're, and they're not a big club at the moment um, so 
do they go with a steady Allardyce or somebody like that, uh, Sean Dice to steady for the next few years? Or I think possibly, I, I'm not sure, but a Ray, Wayne Rooney coming back to Everton. Is that a, a possibility? Is he, or is he a bit like, to me, like Lampard? Probably, I think Lampard should have stayed at Chelsea, uh, sorry, at Derby. Uh, another that. year or two and uh, he was yeah. doing well at Derby and he's very good with kids bringing them through because he had a lot of he had the um, all the young lads from Chelsea won it at Derby at the time and he brought them through well and I think he jumped from Derby straight to Chelsea which I know it was his dream job but I still think it was too early far too early to take and he needs to learn another two or three years get some experience and then go to the bigger clubs. And I think he's gone in too early. He's gone to Everton, straight out of Chelsea like that, and got dived in there too early for me. He should have gone back to probably a championship or even a first division, a high first division team. Learn the trades and build your way up through the ranks. I think yeah. it's, it's also relevant too that, that with this business where the, the directors were told not to go to the ground, etc. And, and Graham Sharp was one of the directors. And Graham Sharp was a great player for Everton. Uh, and during that time, you know, I mean, he was worshipped by the Everton faithful. He was scoring goals regularly when he was a player. Played for Scotland as well, I think, to my right in saying. And yet even he was getting stick, which must have meant that the, the atmosphere must have been mega, mega toxic. That's what I'm saying at the moment. They've got those legends. I think there's, who did I see? There's a couple of players do uh, meet and greet. And they were even hassled not to go into the game and that. And, you know, they soon forget their legend station. So, like they say, Sharp was an absolute legend. Is Duncan Ferguson still there? Is he still on the back room? Yeah. Oh. He is still there, is he? Yeah, he is still there, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just on, just on, sorry, just quickly, just on the betting, uh, Sean Deutsch is 7-4, to four, Duncan Ferguson is 3-1, to one, Marco Bielsa, Marcelo Bielsa, sorry, 4-1, to one, Wayne Rooney, 17-2, Thomas Frank, 9-1, to one, David Moyes, 10-1, to one, Ralph Hasenhuti, Hasenhuti, twelve to one. Uh, Nuno Santos, fourteen to one. Pochettino, sixteen to one. Sam Allardyce, sixteen to one. <laughs> so there we go. You could you could see, see David Moyes going back there though, couldn't you? Because he's struggling at West Ham at the moment. If they would have pulled the trigger there, I would have thought Everton would welcome him back with open arms. Not sure I, don't about wa- I don't think he'd want to. No, mm. I don't think he'd go there. I, I just think, think we talk about, we talk about the management situation, like Tone just reeled off the managers there and Thorpe he did that are in the betting, that the, I guess the problem that you'll have is if they do go down a, you know, Allardyce route again or Dyche, then they might keep them up. But then what happens next season? Does it just go all over again because the fans will be restless again that they've survived, seen the need to survive, but then if they struggle to the, at the start of the next season, it's just all going to go round again, isn't it? So at times, have you just got a kind of... They're just prolonging the inevitable a little bit? Well, it'll, it'll be worse next season, won't it? If they, if they move to the new Liverpool Dock Stadium next season, I'm not sure when they schedule to move in, whether it's next season or the start of the season, halfway through the season, then the expectations will just go up even further. But just because you built a new yeah. stadium that's cost you £800 million doesn't mean to say that your side on the field, as Tony said... Is reflective of the stadium, um, but the fans will then want winning football that's sexy and beautifully played. So they won't want a Sean Dyche, which is madness. Yeah. I mean, if you if you looked at efficiency as a manager, pounds or points per pound in the Premier League, Sean Dyche was miles ahead of anybody for the amount of points he got for every pound he spent. 
which tells you he's a bloody good manager. So actually, yeah. why not give him the chance? If he's got slightly better players, maybe he'll play a slightly more expansive style of football. Maybe, maybe, if, his name was, maybe if his name was Seanio Daishio, it might give uh, a bit different appeal. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem we suffer from, isn't it? You know, he is not sexy, and the fans will say, oh, God, yeah, but it's Sean Dyche from Burnley. Yeah, well, he'll get you more return on your money than about any other manager in the Premier League. Now, can he do it with slightly better players? We'll never know unless he gets a chance. But you can always go and get Marcello Bielsa again, or you get Pochettino back, or you can get Nuno Espirito Santo, or a million of other foreign coaches who will come in with a sexy name. One other point, too, which I don't understand, is that um, when Chelsea uh, had Roman Baramovich there, uh, the, the Russian war happened, and he's out the door, bang, including all his money. And am I right in saying that the the uh, this guy that owns Everton, he's a Russian as well? So how how come he hasn't been sanctioned out of the place? No, I'm not I'm not sure he's Russian. His name's Farhad Mashiri, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah I, th- I, I thought Russian. he was Russian, but I might, I might be wrong. Thorpe, have a look. Is he it's Russian? Holder, isn't it? Uzmanov, that's part of it. I think he's all thinking of. Right. Yeah. 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 Has he still got shares, or did he sell them? Because wasn't he at Arsenal at one stage as well? Yeah. Uzmanov. I don't know. It's just, it's, just, it's just a point, you know. You know, double standards. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What does the group think about Duncan and Ferguson? Because he did a bloody good job when he came in as interim manager last time. And uh, is he the type of character you need just to get him out the crapper at the moment? Just to, to you know, to try and get them out of uh, the relegation battle to the end of the season. He's got passion, does not he? About that. He's got real passion. Whether he's got the experience of, of, of doing the job, especially considering the, the the mess that they're in at the moment, I don't know. But he's certainly a passionate sort of guy, isn't he? And he, he you know, he, he he bleeds blue and white. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the problem with that sometimes they can just be like they can be really sticking a, a sticking plaster on, can't they? You look at um, Oli Gunnar when he first went at Man U. You look at um, the lad down at Bournemouth, Gary O'Neill, and you yeah. certainly get that bounce and you get a few results and everybody wants to play. But ultimately. It's still the same players, you know, the same squad in the same environment. And like Tony said, it, it, maybe Duncan Ferguson will get a bit of goodwill from the crowd. Who knows? And maybe they'll give him a little bit more time than a, somebody coming in from outside. But whoever gets the job, it's a massive task to keep them up now. Yeah. Well, would somebody like Duncan Ferguson stop, you know, like with the new coach coming in, playing this fancy football at the back, you know, if it's a continent or what, you know, Ferguson, would he be a bit more direct? Would he be a bit more like, you know, the structure be a bit more simplistic, so that so that would actually make a difference to their uh, results, hopefully, and, and keep them in the Premiership. I think it's like, like Steve just said, it's like it's like a plaster you sticking on. For the first, if they give him an interim manager now, I can guarantee there'd be passion, the crowd would be up, they'd be behind him, they'd probably win two or three games, go on a bit of a run. But the long term, I don't think he's the choice. Yeah, but I'm not. Um, talk, I'm not talking long term. I'm. I'm talking about. You know, is he the right person to get to get them out of the relegation? You know, is he that? Is that is that a little bit of like a six month burst uh, of passion enough to to save that football club um, instead of trying to reboot a style of football? Um, no long I don't, term. I don't think it'd be a six month thing. I think it'd be a a four or five week. You know, go with and then, like I say, they got the players there and. The players will certainly get behind Big Dunk and that, but I think I don't think it'll be it'll keep him up. He won't keep him up. I think he'll have a little bit of a run, 
bit like a lot of interesting managers take over. Everyone's buzzing. Uh, everyone's all the people who haven't been in the first team are back in with a shape. Uh, so everyone's on a bit of a high. They'll have a bit of a run, but I don't think he's got the credentials uh, to go on and keep them up. I think they say they need. Bit, bit like Alan Shearer at Newcastle when he went there. Well. Yeah, I'm just thinking Abe, that we're in. We're we're on the 23rd of January, as things stand. If they want someone to come in, they're going to need someone to come in who's got a little bit of a window left to try and bring yeah. somebody in themselves, don't they? Because if they bring someone in in the say, second week of February, it's going to defeat the object. Known Frank Lampard's been on his last legs for the last couple of weeks, so I will guarantee they've been speaking to somebody. Yeah, they will not. Yeah. They will not leave it. Uh, they would have had. I won't be surprised if. You find someone's within the place within the next two or three days. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Mm. Um, they've spoken. They're not stupid, like I say. Uh, they've been crying for a mate, like for, like I say, last four or five weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Deich this week. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think it would be a good appointment, like Steve said, is paying for paying what he's done. He's never got the credit he uh, should have been deserved, to be fair. And when you say about his style of football, I thought, when Burnley were in their peak, they were playing some great football. Um, but yeah. he can only play with the players he's got around him. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I thought, like I say, sometimes at Burnley, when I think it was when, they, when the Championship, when they went up a bit into the Premiership, they played some great football. Um, so with better players around him, you know, he could uh, develop. But like I say, for pound for pound, he's done absolutely a fantastic job. Well, we will wait to see what happens because I believe that we are running very much out of time this evening. Um, I don't know where tonight's gone. It's completely flown. But that's what happens mm. when you have so much Premier League football um, to enjoy. I do just want to end on a feel-good note, though, because I don't know if you saw that over in Germany that because it's six months ago, Sebastian Haller was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Well, over the weekend, he made his comeback and came on as a substitute. Thorpey, that's just—it's just the best news, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it, anybody coming back from that and, and and comes back and starts playing football again is just a, a phenomenal recovery, and it's just great to see um, someone like that back in back in the football. Yeah, hopefully they'll be able to uh, pick up where he left off because he was last season's top scorer in the Champions League. But I believe that's all we've got time for this week so steve thank you very much for joining us again mate pleasure pal thorpe thank you as always my pleasure and um, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow night <laughs> hopefully so tony thank <laughs> you for coming after you were eventually let in well just a quick one all the numbers i've put in through my ipad i've got dominoes nando's <laughs> and pizza expressive turned up <laughs> so thank, thank you Harry. that's all right nice <laughs> of you to join us tone nice of you to join us <laughs> So it's um it's good good night from me as well. But I'm going to let AD sign off so then he can do his best football bloody hell in his own voice. AD, thank you for joining us, everybody, and coming back and join us again next week on football bloody hell.